Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the first Adaptive Mindset podcast. Um, we've got some special guests today. We're joined by co-host Carl Lernerman. Lernerman. Right? Yeah. And uh, Ross Austin. Uh, welcome, boys. Thank you for having us. Cheers for having us. Yeah. Um, guys, we've got a We've got a good show. We've got a lot to get through. Um, whether we're going to get all of the stories out in an hour, we'll see how it goes. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, most importantly, guys, is that comment on the, on the on the post to us or on the live show. Let us know. Have any questions for Ross? Uh, Ross has got one of the or these two guys together have got one of the most incredible stories ever. So if you think there's anything I'm missing and not asking them, please uh, please comment away and uh, and help me. So Ross, let's just start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me uh, why you're here and what's going on. Uh, so yeah, so my name is Ross. I'm 41 years old, um, ex-military. Um, I was in the military for, for 12 years. Um, obviously got injured in Afghanistan. Uh, you want me to go into yeah, tell, tell us a story. So yeah. I was I was a Royal Engineers Commando trained. Um, I was on my third tour of Afghanistan. Um, we were moving from a, a different fob to, to a new fob. Um, on that patrol, um, being an engineer, obviously I provide explosive um, entry. So I was kneeling down, setting a charge to, to blow a mouse hole into the compound. As it melted down, three rounds hit the wall just above my head. So I, was, I knew I was getting shot at. So I had to make a split decision. On the way up there, I cleared a safe route. The plan was to set a charge long enough to clear uh, a different route back because you never go down the same route. But because I was getting shot at, I had to make a split decision. Do I want to clear a route and potentially uh, get shot? Or I know roughly the route that I cleared on the way up and I'm going to take a chance and, and, and go that. So the route that I cleared on the way up, I knew roughly that direction. I decided to, to leg it getting shot at. Um, I got about two meters away from the wall where the rest of the lads were stacked up and it just went bang. Um, and got thrown up sort of 30 foot in the air, landed, everything went slow motion. As I landed back down, it then all sped back up, shrapnel coming down, rounds going off, and that was really the last thing I remember. And then I woke up back in the UK two days later. Yeah. So so there's a lot <coughs> happened, a lot happened there. I think guys, if you look at the um, if you look at our po our picture out of the of this of this podcast, the picture's actually the smoke. Yeah, there it comes yeah, on the so screen I'm, there. I'm in the middle of there somewhere. So you're yeah, in the middle of that, that smoke is, cloud there. And that's you, you. See, you see the wall where the rest of the lads are. So if yeah. that, that wall took uh, most of the damage. So if that wall wasn't there, I probably would have killed a few of my mates. Yeah. So okay. great, to be honest, I'm grateful that that grateful wall was that there. Grateful that there was a wall there. Was there. A wall there yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I had survived and I killed my mates. Yeah. So so the reason <laughs> we're, we're here on this podcast is because... I've been fortunate enough to meet you through through CrossFit and training and functional fitness and racing and wheel wad and and all of the sort of training environment. Uh, but there's a, a huge story of how you ended up where you are and, yeah. and and how happy you are, happy you are today. And and part of that is is Carl. Yeah. Um, Carl, how, when did you first meet Ross? Well, uh, I first met Ross back in uh, well, we were in the same regiment. So when I was a private soldier. Uh, Rossi was someone I looked up to. He was one of my corporals at the time. He came across from another troop to um, uh, to join us for the tour. So everything that he done on previous tours, we had to you know, soak the knowledge out of him and sort of be mini versions of him ready to go on tour. Um, so we obviously built that bond beforehand. You know, fear and respect of the corporals that we go on tour. <laughs> but then, but then actually, when you go on tour, and then see that person you look up to has that unfortunate accident, it takes it down to earth that it can happen to anyone. So yeah, it's quite hard hitting when you're a, you're a young lad, but um, obviously being on the same tour, knowing, knowing what happened to Ross, we just have to keep pushing forward and that. So he's someone obviously we look up to, we looked up to when we were in the military. Yeah. And then um, he was in the military a few years and when he got medically discharged, um, still had contact and then CrossFit brought us back together. Yeah. So you did three tours? Afghanistan. Did, yeah. Well, was, one tour of Iraq, two of Afghanistan. One of her, one, so one of Iraq, two of Afghanistan. Yeah. And um, so, Ross, you clear a path. You talk about it to to me, like I'm supposed to understand everything you said. <laughs> uh, I suppose that's natural because yeah. for you, it's so normal. 
but I just want to help our our viewers and people listening to to go through that process a little yeah. bit. So when you say clear a path, what's involved in clearing a path? So basically you have uh, like a metal detector, mine detector, because in Afghanistan it's covered in mines from when the Russians invaded first time around. So there's lots of, of mines and obviously at the time the Taliban were flying in IEDs, which is a, basically a homemade bomb. Um, so anywhere you're walking or patrolling, you always have to clear a path. Um, so that's what essentially um, we were going up to a compound um, because it was a new route you never did the same route twice you had to make sure it was clear so you you know use your equipment to make sure it's clear and that's what i did so i got up there it was clear as i said before the plan was to set a charge long enough to clear a separate path at the back but i didn't obviously have that that time and i had to make a split decision because you know three rounds hit the wall right above my head i was like the fourth, the fourth one could be straight in the back of my head i had to make that split decision um and, that, and that's so, so, so I understand you clear a path. <clears throat> um, yeah. Why do you never do the same path twice? Because they're always watching you, and potentially right. they'll come back and set booth traps, IEDs. And if you think, oh, I've cleared that path already once before, you could then walk straight down it, and it might be so it's just for complacency yeah. purposes. So you, so you're always seeing new paths. So your job was to clear <clears throat> the path. As you feel you're getting to the end of the path, you start feeling rounds, bullets coming past yeah. you. And at that particular moment, you, I guess you don't have time to think much there. No. Yeah. So I, in that split decision, I, I, I went from originally I was going to put a minute charge on to get plenty of time to get back, get into Covenant, go off. So I put a 10 second charge on, which is just the fuse, how long you've got an FMT is going to go off. So I put a 10 second fuse and lit it and then just legged it as quick as I could. Just ran. And just ran. And then I was like, if I, if I get it, I get it. And just have to take that off. Yeah, that, that, that was the split decision. It was either stay there and potentially get shot clear a, a separate path potentially get shot or just take my chances with the route i knew roughly that i cleared on the way up yeah and i must have obviously towards the end just deviated off off your path, path, the path yeah, slightly, yeah. yeah. you're quite quite lucky you're actually running right yeah the, 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 the medic said if i hadn't been running there would have been nothing left of me so my momentum to kind of help carry me away from the blast because the blast was big enough to actually to take out a vehicle um because wow, okay. they packed it in like a shaped charge so normally when you when you put it in the ground just to just put it in the ground but they packed it three sides to, as to use as like a directional charge which you'd normally put in the side of a road to take a vehicle out so it, so it hit me from from that side um but yeah my momentum running actually helped me you know, i probably saved my life because my momentum helped carry me away from it so i mean there's enough we're going to come on to this later but there's enough <coughs> in in being on tour there's enough in being shot at for for stress in, its, in itself do you know what i mean there's enough yeah. for a human being to deal with and then you've got you actually that you were hit or had the injury and, and had the exposure on top of that so there's actually there's a there's a many factors there many many facets which we're going to talk about in a minute yeah. but carl i want to just to ask you so you landed a week later correct after ross's ross's accident what was the feeling like and tell me about how what, what you came down to oh uh, yeah when i came down to the uh forward operating base obviously been previously injured and that's me all lads and friends there yeah there's just a bit it's like to me about the place a bit of a vibe see someone's been injured everyone's uh, say on the back foot well as good as any of the fog is that quite lucky we're in a place called millionaires row so there was actually buildings inside the compound so the buildings and then the names one austin house after obviously rossi's accident which is a good vibe brought the blokes back together obviously we, so we can just carry on with the tour obviously taking a rough hit but so, so this is a guy you look up to. This is a guy you've trained. Your your own words were, "I want to try and be like him in in, in uh, Afghanistan because he's the example." And then this has happened to him. How does that, how does that shape your confidence? How does that make you feel? Or did you not have time to think about stuff like that? I said you do have time to think about it. You know, obviously during the day you don't. But like you think this is a person you've looked up to. Is your section commander someone who's got that experience? Made you little versions of themselves ready to go uh, to deploy, and then something like this has happened. Just shows that everyone's human accidents can happen. Um, but then they have to go on. They have to adapt to the situation. Obviously, he's not there anymore. Someone else he took over. So basically, there was no corporals at the time. There was a large corporal, which was the next rank down, who was in charge of like the section. So we actually lost our section commander. But everyone had to obviously carry on. It's interesting. I hear you both call it an accident. Is it? Is it an accident? Is, is it an accident, or is it is it an act of war, or uh, what, what is it? I mean, I know it's just. Well, I'll jump in. I'll jump at the end of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
think of it a lot as luck based, isn't it? You, yeah. you do your skills and drills as much, much as you want all day long practice, stay on those, but at the end of the day, luck's got the other side as well. So, so Ross, it happens, you're, you're running out, the worst thing happens, you, you, you go off the path that yeah. you, you made for yourself, and um, you don't, you say the next thing you know, you woke up in the UK. So, well, obviously, I remember treading on it because it, it, it did like it does in the, in the movies, it went slow motion. A period of time. Do you remember? I remember, I remember treading on it. I remember um, my weapon getting ripped out of my hands. I remember getting flown up in the air. And then as I landed, it then sped back up to normal time. And then wow. after that, I don't. I remember a little bit of pain. I didn't know what my injuries were. But the only pain I felt was when the medics were trying to put the tourniquets on to stop the bleeding. They had to put it on so tight. I was trying to rip them off because they were painful. Wow. And then they obviously gave me morphine and basically knocked me out. And then. Yeah. I don't remember much after that. I woke up back in the UK. Uh, so there is later. a click like the movies. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, it, went, it went slow motion for, for uh, I don't know how long it was, but then it kind of sped back up. And that, that's how I saw it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so and so then you wake up back in and the UK. And then I wake up. Well, initially, normally in Afghanistan, if you're with a soldier that gets injured, they have that 24-hour period. That if you can get them out and back to the UK, you've got there's the percentage of um, survival rate is much higher. But I wasn't um, stable enough to fly back to the UK. If I'd have been another K up further up the road, I probably would have bled out before I'd even got back to Camp Bastion. Um, so that I had to have 10 emergency operations in Camp Bastion stabilise me, and then they flew me out the next day. So wow. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have even made it back to the UK. You're, 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 you're not I don't, rem don't remember, remember any of that. You don't remember no. any of that. Okay. So do you hear about that back in the UK? <clears throat> do, you, do you follow it back in the UK? Because you're, you're obviously preparing to fly out to us. Do you, do you hear about that? Uh, yeah, you hear about the stuff that's going on, and you get like situation updates from your hierarchy, sergeant major, the CO. Um, you get them on board, and they just let you know how they're doing, how they're progressing, what the chances are. So you get back to the UK. What's the first thing you remember back in the UK? Uh, just seeing my mum and my dad there. Yeah, yeah. I woke up in intensive care, um, and then yeah, just seeing my mum and dad. But funny, my mum told me a story after that. Um, obviously. In Afghanistan, I had a massive beard and really long hair, and she didn't recognise me at first when she came in, and she thought that they'd made a mistake. And then she said, "Until I opened my eyes, and she saw my eyes, and then she remembered it, you know, because realised it was me." Yeah, uh, yeah. To be honest, I was six months in intensive care, pretty much every day, going back and down to the to have an operation. I had forty-two operations in total, loads of skin grafts, and then after about six months in hospital, I think got sent to Headley Court to start a sort of a two and a half, three year rehab process. So you're in hospital for six months, you have 42 operations. How conscious are you? Are you, are you, are you on sort of morphine? Are you sort of quite, you know, are you quite comatose in that period? Are you on higher painkiller meds or are you conscious of the whole process? Are you, are you there? Are you present? I'm, I'm, I remember bits and bobs. I do remember going down to, on certain days for certain operations, but I was going down most days for eight hour operating, you know, all day long. Operating table, so I do remember some of it coming out of it, um, but the most of the time I was just asleep or I was on morphine, tramadol, amitriptyline, you name it. I was on about sort of thirty tablets a day. But I, I couldn't get um, enough food in me, so they used to add a, a tube through my nose and they used to drip feed me through the night to get my food in because I was so weak from the operations all day. Yeah, so you've basically been operating on every day. If you had forty two operations, yeah. in, in six months, that's <clears> pretty much every day, if not. Yeah. Your typical body's burning loads of calories just to repair itself. Yeah, they said they said if um, the the fact that I was so fit and healthy when I got injured probably helped with my recovery process as well. It's, it's like because they were trying to explain how like the body works, and then they were like, your fitness level, your healing equivalent of doing like a half marathon every day. Yeah. That's how quick I was, my body was healing itself. Yeah, or how yeah how, how much energy you're yeah, using yeah. on on trying to survive. Yeah. yeah. So so people often talk about or. When you visit someone, fight Ross, or do you do you do you feel like there was a fight? Did you feel? Did you ever remember a sort of conscious feeling of right? I've got to fight for myself here. I've got to fight for my life. Do you ever do you ever have that feeling, or was it just something you do naturally? Or was it in, in that initial stage, there, in the first maybe three or four weeks, do you remember being in, have any sort of real conscious thoughts of like I, I'm I, in trouble I'll be, here? I'll, to be honest, I've, the first the whole time in hospital six months, I thought that was the end of my life. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's my career done. Um, I wanted to do a full 22-year career. Um, I wanted to give selection a crack as well, so I never got around to giving that a crack. Um, so I did. I was like, 
didn't have a clue what I was going to do. It wasn't until I got to Headley Court and then I was surrounded by other soldiers that had been injured and I was like, he's got two legs missing, what am I moaning about? And I'm like, right, you know, this is the start. I've been given a second chance. This is the start of a, of a new life. It's going to go in a completely different direction. I didn't have a clue what direction that was going to be, but I was like, at least I'm still here because we, you know, we lost a few Marines out there. Uh, so I was, I was like, you know, I'm lucky to be alive. Yeah. I think that's been my overriding <coughs> impression of you. Um, and I'm going to ask you to start talking about his training process or the sort of the CrossFit process um, soon. Um, is that we were in the car together and you said to me, look, Phil, what you've got to understand is I'm not unlucky to have lost my leg. I'm lucky to be alive. Yeah. You know, and that was, it was one of the things I, what, you know, there's, there's moments where you remember where you are when someone said it and it just has set off a, a world of thought in my head since that point. So what I think we're interested in, all the viewers must be interested in is how do you go from <clears throat> laying in 42 operations in six months having those thoughts because there must have been some real dark times there must have been some times where you say i thought my life was over mm. how do you go from that what's that process what's been the, the, the sort of major role or the key thought processes <clears throat> you've had that have got you to a point now where you actually feel i wouldn't say lucky to lose your leg but your, your words were feel i wouldn't change a thing i asked you no i wouldn't change a thing but my my darkest moments even though i had those thoughts and also my darkest moments was once i got medically discharged so after two three years of rehab being sent home and i was sat at home for two years doing nothing i had no, no reason to get up no didn't have a job didn't have anything to do and those were the that's were the, the tough times mentally um you know, I'd lost all my fitness. I had no reason to get out of bed. I started drinking quite heavily. Uh, yeah, yeah, I took quite a bit of drugs as well. Really? Um, and yeah. I actually tried committing suicide twice. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I took all, all the tablets that I was, I was on. I tried to overdose them, but because I drank too much alcohol, I ended up being sick, which brought all the tablets back up. So you've had some dark moments. Yeah, yeah. Some, really some really dark, dark moments. moments. Yeah. And so, and so, I think. If it's okay, yeah. I think what we need to do for to help to the inspirational part of it is how do we go from that to what was your words you said to me at Will? What Phil, I'm living my best life, yeah. you know, <laughs> and you are look at the yeah. smile on your face, you know. What have you seen in Rossi? What like what what have you learned from Rossi? What what is that that, that you've seen in those moments? What what can we learn from him there? Um, yeah, so I remember. Um, I remember around about time you were having bad times when we were meeting up having a bit of reunions and that and Ross was the first one at the bar, so it's like bottom jump down your bottom bunker and getting the whole party and walk around it. Looked like he was having a good time, obviously hurt inside. But it's good to see that transition come around, you start seeing um you spend a bit more time with the lads and then you were going on to your uh, your British weightlifting team G B and you start to get back into sport. Um but then when he actually came across to the gym when I sent him a message um, he had pulled back CrossFit. He was like, Yeah, think about it. Why? Because I'm about to open the box. And he was like, Well, funny thing, about to retire from British weightlifting. I was thinking about CrossFit. Literally, just puzzle pieces just fell together. Then he came in and he walked in. He was literally looked like a bit swollen. I mean, just literally. <laughs> that was a big old, big, big and strong man. Bench pressing for days. It was like 180 <laughs> kilograms of that. They come back and he jumps on the rower and then he flat packs himself, literally just doing 10 calories. Yeah, he shot me on the rower down one and he died. He nearly died. Yeah, but the mental motivation there, the strength was back. It was always there being an ex-forces um, and a commander in that boat. Yeah, just pushing himself. He just got better day by day. Literally one bit better every day, just kept pushing through, pushing through until he got so advanced for the class that he was just winning everything with one leg. Yeah. Just literally driving through, he's like, ah, everyone's finishing the one die and line run, he's like, What's next? Well, just like, well, you haven't done muscle up, let's try that. Go straight on to the next thing. So, so that sort of, you're saying is what he pays to be a winner. He says it, he says it every day. But, um, but that, that attitude is both, is both a gift and a curse, isn't it? Because your darkest moments are accentuated by that extreme behavior you've got you know to, to do what you guys have done bred into your military it, well. yeah they literally bred into you know, exactly. they're trying to break you it's like be break broken or you, you know it pays to be a winner yeah yeah so so is there times where it did break you i mean you said you said you you you, you tried to take your own life yeah as i said that was the time when i was going for quite a, a messy divorce as well so i had obviously that on top of it as well um and then it wasn't until my um when my son was born, I think that was the light bulb 
moment for me. I was like, right, you know, I've got this little baby that's dependent on me now. I've got to start getting a grip on myself. Um, so you found meaning in that. Yeah, and I just um, and then I just said, right, I'm going to just start going to the gym. And I've just started going to the gym, just lifting a few weights, just just getting out of the house basically. Um, and then I found just the more I went to the gym, I just felt my mental health started to improve a little bit. Um, and then it got quite addictive. I was going to the gym every day. Um, and then um, I came across this email um, for power powerlifting. I'd never never even heard of it or thought about it. And it was just like bench press. And I thought, you know, I'm not bad at benching. I got an invite down to go and try uh, some benching at this camp. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, found out there's a lot more technique to just benching than you think. Um, and then and a, a local comp in Manchester came fourth on that and then I uh, competed and another comp came second and then after that I got an invitation to the British Champs in 2015. They were like, um, come and compete with the GB squad, have amazing experience, you'll be in front of a crowd, you'll be up against the best in the country and just have a really good time. Um, and I went up there and won it, became British champion in 2015. And then the next night I got offered a contract. There you go. <laughs> and that was it. And overnight I became a, a full-time athlete and then was training out of Loughborough. So just turned that sort of negative momentum into positive momentum yeah. through, through sport and exercise yeah. and, and, and obviously meaning for the sun. Yeah. Um, so is, is, that, is that the advice? Is that, is, is that the advice? Is I, I, find by meaning sport? Yeah, I, I think sport. Mass plays a massive part in it. You don't even have to be a full time athlete, just doing some sort of sport or, and fitness or activity helps massively with your mental health. Yeah. Um, definitely, I think that link is really big. So, he comes into the box. I'm going to ask you about, <laughs> I'm going to ask you about prosthetic legs and all that sort of stuff in a minute, but he comes into the box for the first time, and obviously, the roles reverse now. You're the boss, yeah, he's, <laughs> there, he's the student, and um, and you've got to, you know. Were you nervous? Were you, or was it just crack on? Or what um, went through your head? No, yeah, yeah it, was fa- it was fairly relaxed. I obviously knew Ross from before. I knew the mentality he had. I knew that if we gave him a goal on the session on the day, he's going to complete it. He's just going to push through. Um, yeah, so definitely no nerves of it. I just, I just knew it'd be a challenge. You know, so, so nervous, but well, a bit anxious about it. Never worked with an adaptive athlete. Um, I didn't know like any information about it so it's just test and adjust and just try something that failed can we fix something for him to complete that movement if not they just had to cut it there that's the standard and then move on but yeah it's just a, a learning process every movement every workout just testing his ability trying to push him a bit um just in case obviously it's just a bit of mental break there but yeah every challenge you got we either hit it or we have to find an adaptation for him to do that movement so just like any normal processing, you just have to scale it down to the ability of that individual, which takes a little bit more time. But uh, if you do it right, what was, what was the biggest challenge? Um, well, for me, I, I was when I walked into that gym, I was probably 10 kilos bigger than what I am now. So I had no CV. So I was like, I need to lose some size and get my engine. Uh, I've done CV in six years. So he, he just loved to chuck me on the road. But, Day one, and he had a heart attack. <laughs> so um, getting him fit. Yeah, yeah, so he's yeah. trying to get me fit yeah. to start with. But yeah, so one of the first things we did, so we tested all the movements, got through, found the basic standard that we can do, so like work on technique a bit further down the line. Once you had the movements, had the scaling options for him, then basically just like a little, uh, little slag you are, but sent you for all the girls that I all the CrossFit girls. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, let's try all these out and see if you can do them. And if you can, yeah. And uh, what the standard is. So we, we did all that just so he got used to obviously CrossFit and exactly what it's about, just the standard workouts. And then the actual training was he was doing the class every day. And then an extra hour afterwards was a bit more conditioning and skill, just working on those skills, just building those work, working reps, reps, you know, two, three, four, five, toes to bar, etc. just going up each week. So you do Isabel from Hang, you do Grace from Hang, you do Karen to a box, you yeah. do Kelly on a row machine, and you just do all the girls how you can do all the girls yeah and and just work through them yeah because i know obviously i walked into the, the gym like two weeks before the opening that was the first time that they obviously announced the adaptive division so obviously carl kind of chucked me into the open about of course. telling me yeah. why not and then, and i think <laughs> one, of the work, one, of, one of the workouts had bar muscle ups and obviously i couldn't do them then because i'd only been in the gym like two weeks and then it was at that point where in that workout where you had 10 bar muscle ups and i tried for like whatever was left of the, the what left, just trying to get one. And I couldn't, and I said to him after that, I was like, I never want that to happen again. I need to learn everything. Yeah. 
that's not happening again. You did. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, when did you get your first prosthetic leg? Uh, so I was injured in uh, 2008. So obviously once I got to Headley Court after I'd done six months in hospital, um, uh, I spent two weeks. So you get like a, it's like a metal leg just to get used to bearing weight through the stump. Um, so you get that for, with crutches for a few weeks. Um, obviously, you get a wheelchair that you can use as and when you, you get tired and fatigued. Um, and then I got my leg pretty quick, I think, um, within probably, I'd say, three weeks of starting my rehab. Um, but at the time, your, your stump's so much bigger. And obviously, the more rehab you do, eventually that, that muscle starts shrinking and, you, and your, your stump shrinks down. So get your leg for a couple of weeks and then the socket can fit because you shrunk a little bit then they'll make a new socket that could take three or four days and then they'll come back um but yeah i got my leg within probably three weeks so you've been laying in a hospital bed for six months yeah essentially um and then a doctor comes around and says here's a leg we're going to get you out of bed how does that feel well he says the doctors come around and initially they're like right so You've had all your operations, there's not much else we can do for you. We're going to send you off to Headley Court and then someone picks you up, takes you to Headley Court. And at Headley Court, even though it's a, it's like a rehab centre, there is the serious in, there's a ward along on the top floor. So the seriously injured stay on the ward at the top. So you stay there for three weeks at a time and because there's there's not enough beds to cater everyone, you do three weeks at a time rehab and obviously from being in intensive care for six months doing nothing, you know, three weeks of rehab is quite tiring. Um, so you do three weeks, you then got sent home for a week, other lads would come in, take the bed space for three weeks, they'd go in, then you'd come back, you just rotate through like that, so I did three weeks on, a week off for maybe three years, um, but I actually, it's, I don't know if, that's just, if it's me or I'm just weird, but I actually loved my time at uh, rehab. That six months when you're just in bed doing nothing, not moving and you think your life's over and then all of a sudden I'm back with the lads and there's, the banner comes back, I mean, I'd, I'd go to the to the shower and I'd come back and I'm like, I'm sure I left my sock on and then oh, my shoe on. And then I'd take my sock off and the lads had painted my toenails or saying, or, <laughs> or Josh, who'd lost both of his legs, he'd be, he'd shuffle his bum to the shower and, and I'd put his lift uh, his chair in the lift and send it to the bottom floor so he has to go and get it. So it's all that bit of banner and a bit of fun and that. And, yes. then, you, and then you're starting doing fizz again and you're trying to beat each other and that. So was, my three years were great fun. It's typical you can find the positivity yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, and then we and then at home and then suddenly yeah, you're on your then, own. And then I'm on my own doing yeah. nothing and that's when the bad times are. Because yeah. you, know, you, you leave that, that environment where everyone's in the same boat. So if you have a crappy day, you can pick your mate up. Yeah. Vice versa, you know. And then all of a sudden you finish your rehab. There's nothing, they can't do anything more from you. You're done with the military, the military kind of wash your hands off you, you get sent home and then you're on your own. Do you think that's why you found <coughs> such a, an affiliation in CrossFit and in, in the training is that community, that gym environment and, and obviously that, 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 that Carl's box there, is, is that one of the reasons you think you love it so much? Yeah, I think I think, I think think that is and the fact as well is, is that, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've just started my third year in CrossFit and I don't think I've done the same workout once as in like the training programme, whereas when I was in the GB squad it's the same. Um, training process um, and I was starting to get quite bored of it but CrossFit I just love the the environment the vibe it's like, almost like a lifestyle as well um, you know I just love it. So what was the um, do you guys ever have any any frustrations do you ever have to deal with him throwing his toys at his pram because he couldn't do something? No, no we've actually had like a fairly clean process so I say given the workout he'll get it done if he doesn't, he'll just have a little bit of work on himself. Just like, yeah, we need to change that. And he'll be straight on and goes, how can we change that? And I was like, I have an idea, right, we're going to get this bit of equipment in and we're going to try and sort this out. It's just, actually, just trying our best to obviously adapt it for him, um, every situation. But, yeah, he's always positive. He's never, never, never seen you for a time. I came into CrossFit and I was like, well, I'm going to be the best. So that's, you know, that's my goal from the day I walked in the gym. Yeah, he's still up, even after all your training every day, he'll leave the gym still smiling, even though he's absolutely hanging out. It's like, yeah, sweet, done, gone for the day, gonna go eat. That's it, Netflix. So, so, are there are there ever any low moments now? No, 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 I'm literally living my best life. Yeah, you're just you're living, the dream, it, yeah. Aren't you? living the dream, aren't you? Living the dream. And I don't know if, if, if the viewers missed that earlier on, but but I asked you the question, didn't I, previously in the car? If you go back, and those three rounds come past you. Do it all again. 
Exactly. Would you do it all again? Yeah, the same I, I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and the dark times have made you stronger yeah, now. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. So, you wouldn't change a thing? I wouldn't change a thing. No. No. Is, um, I had the pleasure of meeting your mum and dad. Uh, we travelled to Wheelwood together, didn't yeah. we? Um, and we're going to talk about that experience shortly. Um, and they told me a story about a Christmas. Yeah, so I got injured in um, sort of middle of November. Um, and then come Christmas time, everyone was going home, and I was like, I don't want to be left in hospital, man, on Christmas Day. Uh, so my mum used to be a nurse. So they said, like, if we show you exactly what he's doing with his dressings and wounds and stuff, um, we'll, we'll give your hospital bed enough dressings and supplies for a week and then we can go home for a week. So I had a hospital bed set up in my mum and dad's living room. Um, and then every day they'd have to drag me out of bed, carry me up the stairs, sit me in the bath, wash all, clean all my wounds, chuck me on the bed, redress them all, carry me back down the stairs, put me back in bed, and I did that every day for a week. So mum was, <laughs> mum was bathing you again. Yeah, mum was bathing me again. I'm just sat there like at like 30 odd years old, like brilliant. And mum's just washing me and I'm just yeah. sat there. Wow. Well, <laughs> you got home for Christmas. Well, I was home for Christmas. Dad carried you up the stairs. Dad and... carried me up the stairs, yeah. Yeah. How was the impact on, on the family? Um... Yeah, it was, it's, it was quite hard. My brother, I think it affected my brother the most. Uh, so I've got a younger brother, he's 10 years younger than me. Um, now I'm not saying like the path he chose was directly to do with what happened to me, but I think it didn't help. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it affected my brother because uh, my dad was telling me, like, which I didn't know about, like he was like, your brother sees you as like this superhero. Yeah. Um, so, but I didn't know that because I'm not as close to my brother. Uh, as I probably should be, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it affected the family quite quite a lot. Um, my dad doesn't really talk about it too much. Uh, my mum, obviously, you know, still gets a little bit teary every now and then. Yeah, that's um, what mum's best for. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it was hard for the family. Yeah, right? well, I can. Yeah, because at the time, my parents were living in America, living in Los, Los Angeles, right. so they got the dreaded phone call. Um, so I'd been injured, so they, um, my mum flew straight over and actually my mum got a, a hotel next to the hospital and stayed in the hotel for three months and literally came in to see me every day. And because the hospital food was crap, she used to cook food in the, in the hotel for me and bring it over. But then the lads clocked on and then before you know it, she'd have orders of 10 and she was cooking for all the lads. Mum was making, 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 yeah, making all the food for all the lads. <laughs> but at the time, my dad still had meetings, so my dad was literally flying over. He was working Monday to Friday. He'd fly over on a Friday and then fly back to LA on a Sunday and he was doing that every other weekend. Just to see, just to see me there. How much has that meant, having all that support from the family? Yeah, 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 it's yeah, been yeah, a big yeah, part of it. Yeah, it's been, it means a lot, yeah. Because there are lads that don't have it, isn't there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very, very fortunate. My parents are still together, and we, you know, we had a really good upbringing, and we've been quite a close family. Yeah, so yeah I'm very lucky. It was funny. I, I talked to your mum at Millwood there, and uh, she was saying that there was a lot happening in those first four or five days, and that and she said that she'd been told multiple times about all your injuries, but there were so many injuries, and you're having so many operations, and so many different things happening that she couldn't. You couldn't keep up with everything, no. and um, she said she'd obviously obviously knew you'd lost your left leg, um, but somehow she hadn't clocked you. You lost half your yeah. foot on, on well, on it was the this right. it was this foot that trod on the on the actual IED. So it was a pressure pad IED. So a pressure pad IED only needs a small metal contact to initiate the explosion. So obviously, when you tread on it, there's a small explosion to initiate the big explosion. It was a small explosion that literally lacerated my my foot in half. And then it was a big explosion that came from the side and hit, hit my legs from the right. side. Right, so, so actually it was your right leg that hit the yes, it was your right leg that triggered it. Yeah. And then I've got a, quite a big scar, you know, right up here around the back here. And then it hit that knee as well. And it hit me from the side, yeah. So, so do you have pain now? Um, so I, 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 I've not been on any medication now for probably, I'd say, 10 years now. So at one point, um, the, the the tablets I was taking were weren't doing anything, so I slowly weaned myself off. And they were like, "There's nothing else we can give you on everything." So initially, I just weaned myself off everything, and then got used to the pain. Um, and then they said, "Obviously, you're going to start um, uh, feeling and experience this phantom pain." Um, so there's like six or seven 
different pains slash feelings and you don't get them all and everyone gets different ones so i still get phantom pains now um sort of the i get there's three that i tend to get so i get a, a really deep knee aching pain uh, in this knee uh, it's just a really deep and it lasts for sort of five minutes um the other pain i get is small electric shocks it will last three to five seconds and that could last for 20 minutes um, and then the other one is the only way I can um, explain it is, and how I imagine it would feel is if I was barefoot and I walked and I trod on a nail and a nail went right through the bottom of my, my foot and I, it's like a, that sharp. On it? the left side. On the, it's all yeah. on the left side, yeah. Because yeah. if I close my eyes now, my brain's telling me I'm wiggling my toes. So I've still got those nervous system connections. So you can close your eyes. I can close my eyes now, and, and now I'm wiggling my toes. But obviously, I've got no toes, and I'm not wiggling. Got no leg, but you can still. Oh, it I can feel because it. you yeah, remember the sensation. Yeah, that's it. really interesting. Yeah. And, and then you get the phantom knee pain. Phantom deep knee pain, and then yeah, electric shocks. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever dream about running, or do you ever have those sort of drift away moments <laughs> where you're back and you've got your body there? How how? <clears> oh, it's been so many years now. You don't get to that. Um, I mean, I do, I do, I'm quite a good runner, so I do miss a bit of running. The, the main thing, I mean, especially with my son now, is playing football with him because yeah, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a keen footballer and plays for the, for the local town, and I was, I was obviously a good footballer as well, so I do miss kicking the ball about with him. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't miss anything no, else that I used no. to. I mean, I can probably do more now than I could do. <laughs> <laughs> You're in better shape now. Yeah. 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 So, so what was his, what do you remember his first one? Was it the Open? Yeah. Well, so yes, yes, first one was just a normal, a normal modern day. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Open was two weeks, two weeks into it. Two weeks yeah. into it, I wasn't even there. Yeah. In the afternoon. Yes, that was so, 21 years ago. So, uh, yeah, 21. Yeah. So there, there must have been, I mean, I've seen lots of few times fall over and there, there must have been some times where have you, were you ever sort of like, is this safe? Is it dangerous? Is it, are we doing the right thing here? Is it, you know, how, you quite nonchalantly say, oh yeah, we just figured it out and we got it yeah. all sorted. But there's a lot more to it than that with someone. There must be some insecurity of, am I hurting him? Is there any back pain? Like, you know, he's, he's got a stump. Yeah, so, um, which one was it? It was the qualifiers for Will, what it was. And basically he was away, so we didn't get to do a lot of training for five days away. When he came back, we had to cram all the workouts into like one or two days. And he was a bit tired and fatigued and you had a twinge in your back, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, because, because he can't actually drop underneath the bar much. As you can see, it's mostly strict. He just braces yeah. and accepts the bar. He had from his lower back a twinge up and you had quite a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, even, and then we, and we struck the belt one as well. We tried, it. We, tr we tried to redo literally about an hour or two later. But yeah, we literally just have to go. No, that's it. Um, that's as far as you can get on the standards this competition. But uh, even though he pushed through, that's the, that's the only time we actually had to physically stop for safety. But luckily, he still qualified. Right. <laughs> he still yeah. he, he still got through, and they went to Waterpalooza. Yeah, but um, but yes, there. And I've worried a few times when you have been cleaning the bar when you're obviously holding the weight on top because you've got no obviously bending your knees or your hips really. It's literally just like that comedy moment of just going over and just slamming down so we're just like well i've been behind him a couple of times like whoa i called him picked yeah, him up yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, getting, just, just getting there just just a brace just in case but that was probably the only worries but the fact that he can't obviously drop the bar and take a knee you know i mean literally it's, it's a long way down for him if he yeah. does do it especially if he's got his his body weight up on his shoulders or above his head things can go wrong if it comes straight down he can't move out the way quickly right. he literally has to a lot of it stripped and controlled down and then get rid of the bar so yeah. even though if he hasn't he fails a lift a lot of it is still like half under control yeah so so if you're talking to all the box owners or coaches or anyone else out there and they've got adaptive athletes coming in what what's what's the message uh, just spend a little bit of time with them so there's, there's a way to adapt every single movement don't be scared don't be scared of taking on an adaptive athlete. It's going to improve them as an athlete, and most of all, it's going to improve you as a coach as well. How to deal with those um, those athletes with those impairments? And there's a way around everything. There's something for everyone. Like as you know, CrossFit is for everyone, and there is an adaptive movement for everyone, a scaled version of that movement, which is still also going to um, push you in the same threshold. So um, yeah, just give it a go. It's just like if you fail, then that's just one more reason to find a way for it to work. There's a there's obviously a, the, the profound effect exercise and sport has had on your life, uh, yeah. essentially saved your life if you yeah. want to be dramatic, you know. 
and and box owners hold that opportunity, don't they? And I think you've experienced that people have been scared yeah. to help you. And, and like I say, you say it so calmly, oh, we just figured it out. And I, I think there's so much more in that. I've got so much more respect that it is just that. But because you found that, haven't you? You found yeah. that programmers and coaches and people, they, they, they're, they're worried about, because they're good, good people and they don't want to do things and, wrong. And but, because the but, adaptive scene is so new. Yeah. So, and I said, like, you know, the adaptive division is competitive. We've got some pretty top level athletes out there, and you know, we're classed as elite at the top. So, you know, why are you you're not going to you're going to get more athletes as a, as they progress in their career coming to the, the big training people and going, you know, I want you to train me, and, and if you're going to turn them away, then you're missing out. Yeah, yeah. So, so coach. Just, just take time. I think that's the message I heard. Coach them as you would coach normal people in the box, wherever. Just take time, and I think that's the one thing I, I felt from you, Ross. Is you, you've got the answers yourself most of the time. Most of, most of they, you know your injuries better than we know your injuries. Yeah. So, so actually, listen, listen to them, and they'll they'll tell you how to help them. Uh, yeah. yeah, like if they physically can't get down to that depth because of their impairment, take them to that lowest point that they're under control place the box there, measure it, and then that's it. So yeah. that's their depth for everything. That's their depth for the squat, thruster, uh, wall ball, yeah, everything. So literally, yeah. like I say, ask the athlete. The athlete will show you, this is what I physically can't do. So literally, that, that's your level, and then just work back from there. It's just that fine line as well, isn't there, of what, what you physically can't do or and what you can't do because you haven't trained it. So that's the balance. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a couple of times where I um, adapt athletes are like, oh, I can't do that because I will. They've got the same injury. I can do it. You can't. That's because you haven't trained it. You're not training hard enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that fine line of you know, what can you actually physically impossibly what can't do because of your impairment and what can't you do because you haven't trained it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, as long as it's safe, try it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> as you yeah. put that um, safety in there. So even if it is, I've done with Ross, I'm just like, just in case, I'm going to put those padded mats together. I mean, so if you, if you do go over, at least obviously, <laughs> the area is clear, there's going to be no fixed objects like a frame in the way. It's just like, just give it a go. It's just like, it fails. How do you see the adaptive scene? Um, obviously, it's what, third year now. Um, so for me, it, it's frustrating at the minute because obviously you've got all the big, so outside of the games at the minute, you've got all the big comps like Will Ward and Wadsley and, and there's quite a few more competitions coming up there running the divisions fairly um, for whatever reason CrossFit games don't and CrossFit itself isn't running the divisions fairly which is frustrating so for myself you know I finished third at Wheelwood so I'm third in the world in my division yet the top five from my division can't get to the games because the division's not run fairly which is frustrating because if we can't get to the games then why are we doing it? Tell us more about that Ross when you said not <coughs> run fairly. Yeah so so basically in um, so in the lower extremity uh, and it's the same for upper as well there's two subcategories one point and two point of contact so one point of contact is like myself single above uh, knee uh, or uh, double below knee um, and then you've got two point of contact which is like a single below knee or uh, an athlete that's got two legs but they've got some other kind of impairment to the legs but they've still got their two limbs and most of the competitions worldwide have those two subcategories, but for whatever reason, CrossFit won't do it. They've just chucked us all together. So unfortunately, the top five positions to go to the games go straight to the two-point. Okay. So, so who are you competing against? Let's give some context here. So not as in names of people, but in terms of what So, what at, the, so at, the minute, at the minute, obviously, in the games in the open at the minute so i'm competing against so obviously the same for my category we're competing against the two points of contact so we're competing against guys that are single below knee now there's guys that are single below knee that are as good as rx elite athletes because they've got that knee joint essentially they've just got a prosthetic foot but they can still squat to depth they can still do every single movement and not necessarily need to take that limb off to do that movement um, and they're you know they're really good high level athletes now with me, there's certain movements I can't do with the leg on. I might have to take the leg off. Um, so straight away, I'm obviously have that transition process. And then obviously it's the same with the guys that have got two legs. You know, there's guys out there that have got two two legs still that still can do every movement. You know, to standard. Now, you know, we've got no chance against those guys at all. 
Um, so you mentioned uh, Will Ward. Yeah. Um, you, you were at Will Ward this year. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was great. So obviously I'd heard about Will, Will Ward from a few, obviously being new to CrossFit, a lot of the um, athletes in my division was like, you need to get yourself to Will Ward. That's the one that everyone really concentrates on really because it's one that's run fairly. Um, and all these other comps that are sort of coming up and that are modeled themselves off Wheelwood. Um, so obviously two two stages of qualifiers. Um, so yeah, stage one, um, I think stage one, I I just qualified and then I came on the program with you guys and then within six months stage two, I, I qualified second. So it showed the, the progression of, of the training and then yeah, I was lucky enough to qualify for Wheelwood and then went out there and had an absolute blast because obviously the, the adaptive community is, is so close. After you've done a few comps, you get to know everybody and it's normally the same faces that go. Um, it's just a great experience, a great, great laugh. And, and the good thing is, is when you're competing, once you've finished your workout, you don't just go, everyone just stays and supports the other athletes that are still you know, pushing themselves and you're cheering them on and encouraging them. It's just a great environment. So you get to Wheel Ward, and um, you've got no left leg, you've got half a foot on the right, and one of the first exercises you're given is weighted kettlebell goblet squats. Yeah. And you say, oh, it's no problem, I'll be allowed a box. Yeah, normally you would. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and Mr. Director of uh, Ceremony says, no box. No box at my competition. That changed everything. Yeah, so you've got the balance issue is that you've got you've, you've got half the foot. You don't have your toes to grip with. Yeah. And you're thrown with a kettlebell and it's a weighted, basically it's a weighted goblet pistol, pistol without toes. Um, how did that feel? Horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously the balance issue was there straight away. Um, and then fact that I can't control the knee joint so as soon as weight goes for it it's going to start bending and it won't stop um, so yeah trying to do a pistol goblet squat was, was interesting yeah <laughs> to say the least <laughs> how many uh, how many prosthetic legs have you had uh, so this one is my third uh, third prosthetic leg so this is my everyday leg now um, but I use this for certain movements I, I, I tend to use this for um, a lot of my heavy lifting because uh, it's the more stable one. I recently, uh, last year, just before Wheelward, picked up a blade. Um, I was told that I'd never run because I've only got half a foot on this side. I have nothing to push up on. So for years, they wouldn't give me a blade and wouldn't give me the opportunity. And then luckily, the the, um, the lady that took me on um, back, you know, fought my corner and managed to get me a blade. Um, and then, so I have a blade that I can run on. Um, she saw a clip on Instagram of me lifting on it and was sent me an email straight away saying, uh, I don't want anyone to see you lifting on it. It's not really for lifting. So, but there is another blade with a heel bit that's more, if you're going to do it, do it on this one. So I picked up that. So I've now got essentially three, three limbs. So this one, a blade and then another blade that's interchangeable. Okay. So you just, you just change, you change between the base based yeah. on what you're doing. And what I'm doing, yeah. It's the worst thing they're going to say to me. Yeah, that's the worst thing anyone can say to me. Can't be saying because I'm going to tear. You just want to prove him wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good watching him. Obviously, with that because the issue is like, well, we're not sure if you know how to stop yet. So they had a long distance at the gym. I was like, try and stop a lot sooner than you think. And he did try to stop, and he just kept coming. Just just really the desk. I think I said the video. Yeah, I was just running, but I had a massive smile on my face. I haven't run for fourteen years. So I was like, you need to get to this bar. Don't stop at the bar. Stop a lot further. Just <laughs> running into into cleats. Yeah. <laughs> so Ross, um, what's the message here? Um, I suppose it's just like you know, any, anything's possible. Um, just because you know you have a, an injury or you have an accident or whatever it is, or it, even if you're born with a uh, an impairment or disability, it doesn't mean you can't like live a full life and follow your dreams. I think it's a lot of it's down to your, your, your mental attitude and if you have the right attitude and the right people around you then anything's possible. So so and it's so you're sitting at home, you you're feeling how you felt. Get get out. Get yeah, get out, yeah. Do so I mean, yeah, the, the the biggest thing obviously is obviously 
admit that you've got a problem. That's the hardest thing. I think that was the hardest. As soon as I admitted I had a problem, then I knew I could start and getting the help. And so do you need someone to do that for you? Or can you do that for yourself? I was told a couple of times before I actually, you know, a couple of, or, or quite a few times, people and friends and they tried to say to me, you know, you can have this end game, we're going to end well if you don't sort yourself out and you just ignore it. And then at one, like I say, at one point, I woke up and I was just like, what am I doing? What the hell am I doing? I'm still alive. I lost mates in Afghanistan. There's lads that have got three limbs missing. You know, you've got one leg missing, get on with it. So you, so you look around yeah. and you, you look around and you, you, you understand there's people in a worse condition than you are yeah. uh, and you've got some good friends, good close friends telling you yeah. that your behaviour is destructive yeah. uh, and, then, and then you listen. Yeah. And then what's the first step? What's the it's just getting out, getting out and just and, and, and just finding something that, that you, you can't find something that you used to do or just something that just to get you out, out and about and get and get active. I think I think sport is just plays a massive part in mental health, a massive part. Because um, you know, I'm I'm only happy when I'm training. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you got out, you go down, you meet old friends who who actually do a lot for you and yeah. help you out a lot and yeah. uh, give you a lot of time and teach you a sport yeah and uh and then you end up two or three four or five years later sitting there living your best life yeah it's exactly. a wonderful story yeah um good anything you guys want to say to finish up with or round off with no just like i said before don't be scared on taking an adaptive athlete just give them that little bit extra time and then just help them reach their potential it's rewarding anyway being a coach watching an able-bodied person get their first strict pull-up um double under um any of those moves again an adapted athlete to do it it's just you know 10 times more inspiring and 10 much 10 times much more rewarding as a coach thanks for joining us guys Enjoy it. It is. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.